My favorite sleeper on fantasy of all time has to be Will Barton. Did you get Rudy Gobert to start the coronavirus because you thought your team wasn't going to win the championship this year? If you put Will Barton on the Pistons, I don't think he gets better points than Tony Snell at this point. Just because he makes the playoffs and wins every single year with the worst team I've ever seen in my life. Like on paper, looking at them, they're all ugly, first of all. Second of all, I'm like, how? How does this guy drop 20 on my head? I don't even know who he is. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 15 of the Flashy Stats Fantasy Podcast. I'm Vince, and I'm joined here by Mike, Matt, and Giuseppe. And today we're bringing you the top 25 small forwards for the 2020-2021 NBA season. We're actually doing this episode a little bit differently from our point guards and shooting guards list. We're going to be starting at 25 and bringing it down to 1. This was actually a suggestion by one of our viewers. We think it's going to make the episode flow a lot better, and it'll make it so that when we're talking about a guy, we're not saying why he's worse than the player before him, but why he's better than the player before him, which we think is going to make a lot more positive spin on it, make it a lot more fun. So starting off on our list here at number 25, we have Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris this past season had a pretty good resurgence here for the New York Knicks, averaging almost 20 points a game. But then when he was traded to the Clippers, his fantasy production went down significantly. And his numbers in the Clippers, he was averaging 10 points, four rebounds and assists, and one and a half stocks in 29 minutes a game. We actually have a good amount of discrepancy here with Marcus Morris. Mike and I actually have him outside of our top 25, but Giuseppe has him at number 20, and Matt has him at number 24. So Giuseppe, I'm actually going to have you start us off here. Tell us what you think about Marcus Morris for this upcoming season, why you're so high on him, and why you have a number 20. Marcus Morris is someone I always want on my teams. Marcus Morris is very consistent, although his field goal percentage is not the best. I just think that he's a consistent option. Like He will get you about 15 points a night. He'll shoot a few threes. He'll get a few rebounds. And other than that, he won't get you any steals or blocks you know, or the occasional steal. But he doesn't turn the ball over very often. So he's just someone that you can supplement your team with. Obviously, at number 25, is not someone you're really targeting super hard. He's someone who has a, a decent floor, which I like to have on my teams. It's also worth noting that he's a unrestricted free agent this season. I see him playing on another contender, but I could also see him go chase money like he did last season, go play half the season with the Knicks or you know a bottom end team, and then potentially get traded and try to contend for a championship like he did this season. If that happens, if he's on a worse team, he obviously will be a better fantasy option. But if he plays for a team like the Clippers again, I think it'd be hard for him to be in the top 25. But regardless of where he plays next season, his floor is, you know, top 30. And it's more than likely he'll be in the top 25 next season. Was he the one that was supposed to play with the Spurs and then he reneged on that and ended up going to the Knicks? I don't remember that. I don't remember that either. Anyone else have anything on Marcus Morris? Yeah, Wait, I can that, that, that's actually true, Vince. One of the most controversial offseason sagas occurred in July when veteran forward Marcus Morris verbally agreed to a two-year pack with the Spurs before backing out and signing with the Knicks. Interesting. Yeah, he really just DeAndre Jordan them. The Spurs being like, oh, we're going to get Marcus Morris. And he's like, oh, wait, never mind. He went to the Knicks instead. How bad would you feel as the Spurs? Oh, <laughs> I, I can tell you how Greg Popovich felt. He labeled the move unprofessional and unfortunate. And apparently they that's the reason why they traded Bertans, because they thought the deal was all said and done. Wow. That's a big loss. Yeah. Anyways, I, I think that Marcus Morris is going to play for another contender next year, kind of like he did with the Clippers this year and put up mediocre to not very good numbers, which is why I have him off my list. Nothing against him as a player. I think with opportunity, he could be top 25. I just, I personally see him as a free agent either staying with the Clippers or signing with another contender. So that's why I have him off my top 25. I think a lot of his value lies in the amount of shots he gets. 
we saw it with the Clippers. His number of shots per game dropped to nine, whereas when he was at the Knicks, he was taking around 14 to 15 shots a game. So if he ends up on another contender, I really see his value outside the top 25. But if he ends up on a team like a Knicks, he could definitely be around like 20 on our list where Giuseppe has him. I think it all just really depends where he goes. I just can't imagine Marcus Morris going to a contending team right away. He's going to try to get as much money as he can in the offseason, deal with wherever he's playing, and then from there, if he wants to go to a contender, hopefully get traded there. I don't see him taking anywhere near a veteran's minimum to try to contend. I don't think that's the way he's been in the past, and I don't think that he's going to change that right now. I think it's just too unpredictable on where he's going to go, provided he does go to a bad team like Giuseppe said, and he puts up good numbers. I'm not really searching for a player who evidently is ring chasing and with the potential of him wanting a trade midseason after chasing money, whatever the case might be. It's just too inconsistent for me to really want him on my team. When he played for the Clippers, he averaged 10 points a game, you know, less than a steal, less than a block. The only really bright side was his free throw. And as a result, he just didn't crack my list. I honestly really didn't even consider him until I saw Giuseppe's list. All right, so moving on to the number 24 spot on the list, we have Jeremy Grant of the Denver Nuggets. Jeremy Grant actually had a really, really great postseason. He's been a really good defensive player for a long time, probably the best one on the Nuggets in my opinion. And statistically, that doesn't always carry. This past year, he averaged 12 points a game, along with one and a half stocks, three and a half rebounds, and one and a half assists. I think for everybody who had Jeremy Grant in their top 25, it was more based on potential and kind of just how good of a player he is versus his actual stats in this past season. But Mike and Matt, you guys actually both have Jeremy Grant outside of your top 25 here. Which one of you guys wants to get us started here on Jeremy Grant and what you what you see or don't see coming out of him for the Nuggets next season? When I was deciding on those last five spots on my list, I just I was really between like six or seven players and he was one of them. But when I was looking at his stats, there, there was nothing really that like popped out to me. He's kind of just like... He's just there. He had a good postseason, but I don't know. If I was going to rank him in my top 25, it would be more off potential than what we've seen in the past. That's why I don't have him on my list, because he hasn't shown anything in like the last couple seasons of why I should put him in my top 25. I think I'm a little bit opposite of Matt. Honestly, I just think that that Nuggets team is so deep, and it's really hard to predict which players are going to be able to produce. I think Jeremy Grant is a very good player, especially for defensive stats. And I think he's a good option as a pickup on Sundays and a good filler. But I had a really hard time putting him in my top 25 because he lacks consistent consistency and minutes. Like that Nuggets team fluctuates on who they played. It's totally matchup based. I don't see him being a consistent person in the lineup. Mike, where do you have Jeremy Grant at if he gets, because I actually saw recently that he's potentially going to be declining his player option for this year. If he goes to a different team, where do you see him at? I mean, I can see him as high, as high as, you know, top 20 small forward. I, th- I think he has a lot of raw potential, and I don't think he's been on a team that's really given him enough opportunity. I think we might have touched on it when we talked about Malik Beasley. I think he's a very good player, and I like his play style, and I think he has the capacity to produce. So I could rank him as high as, as 15. I'm, I'm not really sure. It's, it's all circumstantial. Mike, how do you feel about him in his career never shooting more than 75% at the line? We've seen ton of play, tons of players like this, and eventually when we get to the top of our list and we kind of touch on Giannis, we speak very highly of, of Giannis, and Giannis does not shoot very good from the free throw line, so I don't really think that's of a concern. You're not really hunting him as a player to be a good free throw shooter, 
you're hunting him to be a more of a defensive player, more like a Jonathan Isaac on a, on a smaller scale. Someone that's going to be a very cheap option in the upcoming draft, provided he's on a team he gets minutes on. I love Jeremy Grant as a player, and I think that he did an amazing job in the playoffs. But when it comes to fantasy, I think I put him almost too high at 22 because nowhere in his career has he ever really shown the ability to be a great fantasy option. The highest he's ever averaged was 13.6 points a game for OKC last season. And while I think that he's a great defensive player, I still don't see it translate fantasy-wise because he's never averaged more than one steal a game. And he's only recently averaged 1.3 blocks a game with OKC last season playing 32 minutes. Obviously, he was coming off the bench this season, and he did not get to the one steal mark or the one block mark. So a lot of his value, I think, will come with defensive stats, but he hasn't shown anywhere in the past that he's able to even average more than one steal or one block a game. Yeah, we've talked about in the past, too, players where their strengths primarily lie in their defending, not having that translate well to fantasy, and I think he's definitely one of those cases. I think it's important to mention, too, what Vince said, that he has a player option for the season. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that he's going to decline that player option. He deserves a lot more money than what his contract for next season would be. And while I'm sure he loves to play for the Nuggets, I think he'd be much happier making twice as much money and also being a starter on another team. So that is why I think he landed at the 22 mark, because I think he deserves more minutes. But I'm still hesitant to believe that he's anywhere in the top 20 at this point. Most of his value is in his defensive ability, not his offensive ability. He hasn't shown that he's able to get stats and fantasy rather than just being able to lock down players in the opposing team. Yeah, I was actually really surprised to see that he had that he averages less than a steal and less than a block throughout his career. Because when you watch the Nuggets, it doesn't seem like he's doing that little. Like it feels like he's always around. It just doesn't really translate. I also had him at 22, like Giuseppe, and I'm also rethinking that positioning because I would have assumed just eye test just from watching the Nuggets games that he was having more of a fantasy impact on that end of the floor but I still think that if he can get two stacks a game that's enough to warrant him being in the top 25 I think that around 24 or 25 is probably more likely where he's going to be after this next year anyone else have anything to say fun fact actually Jeremy Grant is not only related to Jerian Grant of the Chicago Bulls but he's actually also related to Horace Grant from the like Bulls championship teams which is really cool All right, so moving on to number 23 on the list here, we have Mikel Bridges. And I don't know about you guys, I'm starting to feel like we're, like, you know how Skip and Shannon, like Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp always talk about the Cowboys and the Lakers? I feel like we're that, but with the Suns and the 76ers. But Matt and Mike, you guys both have me in top 25. Mikel Bridges, small forward of the Phoenix Suns. He has some of the greatest nicknames that I've ever seen on basketball reference, including Inspector Go-Go Gadget and String Bean. He's a little undersized for a small forward, but he has long arms, really well known for his defense in the bubble. It was a big reason why the Suns were able to lock a lot of teams down. And that actually translated in fantasy throughout a lot of the regular season. Even though he was even though he was only playing 28 minutes a game, he actually got one and a half steals and half a block per game while averaging nine points, four rebounds, and two assists. So he didn't have a great year this past year. Like Jeremy Grant, I'm assuming that the reason for the optimism with Mikel Bridges is simply because of his acumen and ability as a player. And just the idea that that's going to translate to fantasy production, especially if we're assuming that the Suns are going to be a better team this upcoming year than last year. Mike, I know you're our resident Suns fan here. Do you want to get us started here with Mikel Bridges? I think the the reason why I'm so high on like this Suns team and all their young players is it gives me it gives me nice flashbacks to you know 2016, 2017 when I was a big Lakers fan of uh, that Larry Nance Jr., Jordan Clarkson team, D'Angelo Russell. 
I'm a little bit reaching on him by putting him on the list where I did. I think the biggest positives for him is his consistency and his efficiency. I mean, he shot 51% from field goal and 84% from the line while still averaging good stats on defense. Obviously, the ball can only go around so much on that team, and it's really going to show who steps up next season, and it's going to be interesting. I just think he's a very good defensive option, and those stats kind of get overshadowed by points. I just think he's a sleeper pick for next year for someone who could make a big jump at for the most improved player. I think that it's pretty bold to say that he could win it next year. He already was playing 28 minutes a game. So while he wasn't starting, that's still a decent amount to play. While I think that he's a very good player and he has a lot of potential, I don't see him cracking the top 25 next year. Someone you could pick up, you can definitely play Mikhail Bridges, but I don't see him as a consistent roster spot as of right now. He's averaging a steal and a half a game, which is good. And his percentages are pretty good, but he never really shoots enough from the field or from the free throw line for them to actually make a big impact on your team. So if you're trying to stream steals and potentially not hurt your field goal percentage or free throw percentage, he's a good option. I would not have him on my roster consistently throughout the season. I think once the Suns finally figured out that Dario Saric was not the option on the team, his production went way up. He did average 28 minutes. They are bench minutes, and it's a lot harder to – he's not the type of player to create offense on his own. So being in that bench role really limited him on the offensive end, provided they moved him to the power forward position or however they were going to change the lineup, play a little bit smaller. Mikel Bridges is a very good young player that plays on a high-rising Suns team. I agree that he has definitely potential to be top 20 next season, especially if you see him in the starting lineup and – you're right. He doesn't create his own offense. He definitely is dependent on the players around him. And being in the starting lineup, I think that he could have more opportunities to score. But you're also not considering that they have players like Ricky Rubio, Devin Booker, Kelly Oubre, DeAndre Ayton. These guys all need the ball and are also going to get their stats. I think Vince mentioned earlier, but there's only one ball to go around. They can only do so much. If we're going to have every Suns player in the top 20, there's no way unless they're scoring 150 points a game. I'd rather have someone like Harrison Barnes who doesn't even crack our top 25 just for a consistent floor and someone that I could depend on even if it's not exciting. It's a consistent floor, something that I could hang my head on and just say, okay, Harrison Barnes is going to do what he can do. Just have you mentioned, I actually said this before we started recording, that I think that Mikel Bridges is going to be most limited by just the amount of times he's going to have an opportunity to score or to do something fantasy-wise because there is one basketball on the court and Kelly Oubre is looking to be a 20-point-a-game scorer. We'll talk about him a little bit later. You have Devin Booker, who's one of the best scorers in the league. You have DeAndre Ayton, who was hurt a lot of this last year, but when he came back also took a lot of the attention. And then Ricky Rubio, who mostly handles the ball. And assuming all those players come back and are healthy this next year, I don't really see offensively where McCall Bridges is going to kind of fit into that. Mike, you mentioned his ball stats. I actually checked those out. They were better than his regular season stats, but it did kind of mirror the erratic inconsistency that Giuseppe mentioned. Like he had a couple games where he scored 20 points, but then he had a couple games where he scored like four. That's another thing for me where I think consistency is really important. That's, I mean, Giuseppe mentioned Harrison Barnes. I also had Harrison Barnes on my list. Didn't have McCall Bridges on my list. A lot of that comes from opportunity. I don't think Harrison Barnes is a better player, even if he is going to not shave his beard until the Kings make the playoffs. So he's going to be Gandalf in the next three seasons. But until then, I, don't, I think he's a better fantasy option than McCall Bridges. Also, I think that his best stat is steals. And this might just be me personally. I think steals is a pretty good streamer stat. That's something that I don't really look for steal specialists per se. That might just be, again, my own flaw. But I think that where he contributes the most is also in categories where you can get that off the waiver wire or to stream on like a Sunday night. I definitely see what you guys are saying. It's definitely very inconsistent. But it also goes with like the flow of a team. Did we or did we not 
say this about Jalen Brown. I said this a while ago. The Celtics figured it out. And guess what? Now there's four solid fantasy options on that team. All I'm just saying is, like, mark your words. I have nothing to show for it. I understand that he's a little bit more of a riskier option, and his floor is a lot lower than someone, say, Harrison Barnes, who, in, in my opinion, really only gets points. I wouldn't really want him on my team, period, because I can just pick up someone off of waivers who, like, let's just say someone's hurt and they're filling in to get 15 points to supplement whatever I need on the team. I have nothing to really show for it or say why, based off of his previous stats. It's just that the Suns figured out how to win in the bubble, and provided that translates into next year, Mikel Bridges will be a solid option, and he definitely fits in that top 25 range. Mike, can we get a you'll see, you'll all see? You'll see, you'll all see. I, I've said this many <laughs> times. I said this about Jalen Brown. You guys ate your words. And if I'm eating my words next year, that's totally fine. But I see a lot of potential in Mikel Bridges. Everything about him points in the right direction. I think maybe he's just hasn't been seen that way by a lot of people. Just before we go any further, I want to just get this ahead of time so we don't talk about when we go to the centers. How do you feel about Frank Kaminsky? Do you think he's a top 10 fantasy center? I'm just asking because he's on the Suns. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think Frank the Tank provided he was putting up Wisconsin numbers, yeah, but no, I do not think he's anywhere near top 10. Okay, just making sure. I was getting kind of nervous. Yeah, what about Aaron Baines? <laughs> Two weeks from now, Michael's top 10 centers list. Coming in at number seven, Frank Kaminsky provided DeAndre Ayton gets hurt. I'm telling you guys. <laughs> Can't wait to slide Aaron Baines into my top 25 centers list. Let's talk about Will Barton, the guy that I found, and the guy that I'm not a big fan of right now. Also, before we move on to the next guy, shameless plug, our next episode, we actually do talk about Mikel Bridges a little bit more. So if you enjoyed this segment, make sure you check that out next Friday at noon. I'm honestly really curious to hear what you guys have to say about Will Barton. For one, after you guys hating on Mikel Bridges for not having enough ball to go around, and for two, looking at that Nuggets team, especially with Michael Porter Jr. playing as well as he did, Will Barton is going to become obsolete. So I'm just curious to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Ooh, wow, heat coming. Well, let's just start with Will Barton right away. We don't need a nice intro for him. Let's just let's get into Will Barton. So Will Barton this past year averaged 15 points a game, six rebounds, four assists, to go along with a steal and half a block on 45% shooting from the field goal and 77% from the line. He also got two threes a game. I honestly think he had really good stats. Like, I think that he's in a bad situation, but I think where him and Mikel Bridges differ is he's proven before that he can be on a team with a lot of depth and with a lot of options and still carve his own niche. But I'm not going to dig too much into it. Matt, I know you want to talk about what Barton, so you can hop in here. My favorite sleeper on fantasy of all time has to be Will Barton. This guy has bailed me out so many weeks. He finds a way to get production, even when he's on a team as deep as the Nuggets. I honestly think... If this guy was on a team that didn't have as much depth as the Nuggets, he would be top 15. I definitely see your point, provided that he's on a different team. He'd be great stats. At the end of the day, he's on the Nuggets. And what you guys were saying against Mikel Bridges should be what you're saying against Will Barton in the opposite way that there is Michael Porter Jr. And as he started to get more minutes, whose time did he cut into? Will Barton's. He's almost obviously, he'd be like the Dario Sarch of the Suns. Like, he finds a way to produce. Yeah, that's fine. But imagine him in a bench role now. Is he going to put up the same stats that he put up last year? No, he's not. I see him only declining from what he put up this year as that Nuggets team evolving and moving to their more younger players that they've been building up. I'm actually on Mike's side for once. There's a few things that I agree with. One, that there's too much ball to go around with the Denver Nuggets. The one thing I do disagree with that Mike said is that Michael Porter Jr. cut into his minutes. The only reason why Michael Porter Jr. actually got an opportunity is because of all the injuries with the Nuggets. And one of those injuries included Will Barton's injury. 
because without Will Barton's injury, I don't think that Michael Porter's emergence comes about. So I don't think that it was the fact that Michael Porter took minutes away from Will Barton, but it was actually the injury of Will Barton that gave Michael Porter Jr. the opportunity to play. And that happens a lot in sports where a starter or a veteran player will get injured and then a younger player will finally get their opportunity to play and they overshine them and then eventually they take over their role. And I think that's kind of what's going to go on now because I think it's very obvious that Michael Porter Jr. is a very athletic and skilled player, much more so than Will Barton is. And I think next season that they're going to start right away with Michael Porter Jr. starting and Will Barton will eventually be to the bench. Another thing that Matt and Mike said that I don't agree with is if Will Barton was on another team, then he would be much better. I don't see that Will Barton being on another team will actually help his cause. If you put Will Barton on the Pistons, I don't think he gets better points than Tony Snell at this point. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, I don't think that Will Barton is that impressive, that skilled. I don't think he does anything special. I think he's one of those players that plays a role on a team. He plays that role on the Denver Nuggets team. I don't see him as a viable fantasy option. Not a viable fantasy option. How can you say that? Yeah, I also really don't understand this Will Barton slander calling him. I mean, I understand the comparison to Mikel Bridges and why you'd put, because I also put him lower because of the emergence of Michael Porter Jr. I think that that's also important. But even if his numbers do go down a little bit, he's still a top 25 small forward. 15 points, six rebounds, four assists on solid percentages. That's a better player than the other guys we've talked about so far. I guess if you see him really coming out of rotation, it seems like there's something that you guys saw with the Nuggets or with Will Barton specifically that I might have missed. And I don't mean to be like disrespectful or say that I'm right and you're wrong, but like I feel like just looking at his stats and just what he's done on a team where he actually hasn't had a ton of opportunity that he's just carved out his own role in, I don't see that completely going away this year. I don't think he has very good percentages. I think that the best thing that he does is score. And like we said before, you can get it in other places. I think Marcus Morris scores better than he does. I think Marcus Morris has a better chance of starting on an NBA team than he does. Will Barton, he still has two years left on his contract with the Nuggets. I actually do expect them to trade him. I don't know what for. I've seen his name with trade rumors because obviously NBA teams value him, but I don't think he's going to be an important part of that Nuggets organization. So if he gets traded, he can be a top 25 option. I don't think he'll be anywhere. Like his ceiling will never be top 20. He'll be an average small forward wherever he goes but I still think it will be a better situation than what he has with the Nuggets. Who hurt you? Did Will Barton, like, insult you? I, I, I thought you were, I thought you, I thought you liked Will Barton. I, I feel like I've seen you have him on your fantasy before. I, I think he has probably the lowest ceiling of anybody we're going to talk about today, but I also think he has a higher floor than anybody outside of the top 20. I was actually the first person to roster Will Barton, I feel. I remember significantly like that he was a big part of my team. He was a big part of my team. He was just because I picked him up, not because I ever drafted him or put any draft stock into him. I picked him up from the waiver wires. He was a consistent option, but putting him in the top 25 puts him in a range where if you're in a 10-person league, he's a second or third small forward on some teams. I think there's better options that we have left off our list than putting Will Barton there. All right. I still disagree with that. I, I really think Will Barton's value lies in his ability to do a little bit of everything. Last year, he had d- decent field goal percentage. He, he would hit a couple threes a game. He can move the rock, get you a couple assists. He can pretty much do it all. Yeah, I don't really know if you can say the same about Marcus Morris. He's at best, what, just a streaky shooter? So, I don't know. 
I think at the end of the day, Marcus Morris, uh, Will Barton, they're both just scorers. And I think what I said earlier may, may have gotten misinterpreted by Giuseppe. I said I can see how Matt sees that provided he's on a different team, he has more value. But I feel like his floor and his ceiling are equal to one another. And that's literally 10 points a game, a few rebounds, a few assists. I, I don't think he's anything special. I, I'd have to agree with Giuseppe, and this is why he's off my list. I don't see him as an option or someone that is going to do anything out of the ordinary as far as small forwards go. See, Marcus Morris has a ceiling that is a bit higher than his floor, but I don't think Will Barton, like Mike said, I don't think he has a high ceiling. Where I see Marcus Morris can have a good week and, and score 20 points a game in a week, I don't think Will Barton can do that. I also think Marcus Morris is more hes more of an aggressive scorer. He can be more of a focal point of a team on the offensive end, whereas Will Barton is a spot-up shooter, and he's like the fourth, fifth option, where Marcus Morris can be the third, fourth. I want to state for the record, by the way, if Marcus Morris goes to a non-championship contending team and Will Barton's on the Nuggets, I do say that I think that Marcus Morris is a better fantasy option than him. My, my simple reason for having not having Marcus Morris but having Will Barton so high is because I see them both staying on like similar echelons of teams that they're currently on. That's one thing that's so hard about fantasy is, is trying to guess on which team they're on, who's going to produce, if someone gets hurt, whether they'll be a good option. And for that point, provided everything stays the way it is, or even if they change, I don't see Will Barton doing any more than what he's currently doing. And as he's getting older, his stats are only going to get worse. He's not a LeBron, let's be honest. To like invest or buy into Will Barton, I just don't see why you would want to do that at this point. Like you, You've seen what he can do. I'm pretty sure everything that he's put up up till this point is the maximum that he's going to do. So why why you guys are ranking him so high is just kind of really confusing to me. Mike, you said it perfectly. There are players on this list that if a person above them or a player on the team gets injured or traded, their value changes. I think if you trade most of the Denver Nuggets team or Jamal Murray gets injured, Jeremy Grant, if he's still there, gets injured. I don't think Will Barton's value actually increases at all. I think for the most part, it decreases if the players around him get hurt. Whereas someone like Marcus Morris, if one of their primary scorers gets hurt, he has a boost in his points where it might hurt his efficiency, but at least he has a higher ceiling. Will Barton's value, I feel, can only decrease at this point. So just to that point, I think that Will Barton has probably hit his peak. Like I think that this next year, I don't see any reason why I wouldn't put up close to the same numbers he put up this last year, besides Michael Porter Jr., but like I think he'll put up maybe 90% of the numbers he put up last year. And last year, he was the 15th best small forward in ESPN. Some of these guys, like, oh, they have to improve into the spot that we have them in for us to be optimistic on them. I think that Will Barton would have to get a lot worse for him to fall on my list. And I think that he's going to get a little bit worse, but not to the point where I see him dropping below, like, top 20. And I I can see how you see that, Vince. I think what we're saying is provided someone on the team gets hurt, it's not going to be Will Barton stepping up. It's not going to be Will Barton getting the increase in points or 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 stats. It's going to be someone else on the team that's going to benefit from that person being injured, whereas Will Barton's going to put up the same numbers. So as a result, each year, he's already at his max. So it's not that he's a bad option. It's not that I wouldn't want him on my team, but it's not someone that I would be targeting. It would be, okay, I need a score, and Will Barton's available, and it's later later in the drafts. So I'll, I'll take him. But it's not someone that I'm be like, okay, this guy's a lot of upside. Picking him now will be a good option for my team. It's just like I, I need a player, and he's available. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. He's definitely not like a – like, to be completely honest, I know I'm talking a lot of positive. I probably wouldn't draft Will Barton myself. I don't know. There's, like, a lot of players where, like, yeah, you could take him. But he's kind of like Fournier, but not as good, where it's like, why would you draft him when you could draft somebody that has more upside? But I think just, like, from a pure numbers standpoint, like, someone that I might pick up, I think he's, like, a solid player. But I definitely see where you're coming from in that regard. 
when I heard us talking about him, I actually completely reminded me of Fournier also. So I see what you're saying there. But Fournier is also the number three option on that team when it comes to offense. And Will Barton, I think, is not. So that's like the difference there. And while you may not like Fournier or not want to draft him, he's still a decent option. But he's still not your number one, number two. You know, he's probably your number three shooting guard. Same with Will Barton. And like you said, I would rather take a chance on a rookie that I like that would be at the end of the draft rather than reaching for someone like Will Barton. Like, if this makes sense, if someone drafted, I would never be like, oh, man, someone just took Will Barton. But I would do that <laughs> over some some players that I have some hope in or I can see potential in. Exactly. He's a player if you need him. If you need him, he's a great option. But he's not a player you reach for. He's not a player you target. It's simply on a, a need basis. I'm going to say that the Denver Nuggets were starting – Jeremy Grant over Michael Porter Jr., which was obviously a defensive move, and Michael Porter Jr. being a much better and exciting offensive player. Wasn't it until the playoffs? Didn't the Denver Nuggets really struggle with scoring? Weren't all of their games like the lowest scoring games we've ever seen? Like they were finishing in the 90s, whereas some teams have 80 points at halftime. I thought that was more just because they have a really slow pace because they run it through Jokic a lot and they don't do a ton of fast breaks. Uh, I might be wrong though. And Jamal Murray wasn't averaging 57 points. It's not, it wasn't 57, but he wasn't averaging over 30 points a game. So that helps your team and the offensive end for sure. I think we can just wrap it up and say, you know, provided that he's able to have a healthy season and it is encouraging that all of his injuries are kind of all over the place and nothing that's really too serious, saying that he could have a healthy season and provided that happens, he's definitely like a top 20 option. So I, I guess the reason why I left off my list was because mainly he's just prove everyone wrong this year. I guess where he stands right now in my eyes is he's not in the top 25 small forwards. I still can't get over the fact that Giuseppe had Otto Porter sitting in his IR for the entire season and literally a week before he came back, he dropped him. I forgot about that. You gotta do what you gotta do to get in the playoffs. <laughs> Yeah, the saddest part is that you literally would have still made playoffs with that bum team. It's so annoying. I don't understand. You're just like, Will, your players, like, I know you suck, but you're going to do good. That's what Giuseppe says to his players, and it's like every year. If Giuseppe put out a top 15 fantasy list and it had someone like, I don't know, Frank Kamitsky on it, I would literally try and get that person after draft just because he makes the playoffs and wins every single year with the worst team I've ever seen in my life. Like, on paper, looking at them, they're all ugly, first of all. Second of all, I'm like, how? How does this guy drop 20 on my head? I don't even know who he is. Mike, that's the best compliment I've ever had. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Mike just wills his players to get hurt. <laughs> just somebody's willing his players to take him to the playoffs. Mike's willing his players to take him to 3-1, and one, and then all, all get injured. Unfortunately, this year, I did have patient zero, though. You really go bare. <laughs> God, I forgot about that. Giuseppe, I want you to be completely and brutally honest with this year. Did you get Rudy Gobert to start the coronavirus because you thought your team wasn't going to win the championship this year? Honestly, it's a conspiracy theory going around, and I definitely get it, but I still had faith in my team in winning this year. It was an insurance plan, though. I was in the middle of beating Grant. I was midweek, and I said, Rudy, you got to do this for the team. I have to stay undefeated. I think Giuseppe knew that maybe this was the year that wasn't his year for once in his life. He was just like, you know what, instead of telling them we need to just pull through, I just need them to get sick, the season be canceled, and then I get a free split championship between four teams. No, honestly, I had full confidence in my team. We were trending upwards. Like, I was so excited. I was beating the number one team in the league. I was I was so ready to win it again. Grant was such a fake number one team in the league, let's be honest. He had all forwards. 
Like, I don't understand how he was winning weeks. Like, when I look at his team, basically all they got was rebounds and points. I have no clue how he was winning other categories. Obviously, field goal, but he was trending way down. So, like, your team may be trending up from, you know, whatever it was, eighth to fifth, but Grant went down from one real quick all the way down to team that should have been out of playoffs, in my opinion. Yeah, that happens a lot in fantasy where a team will refuse to trade or refuse to change their strategy because they think that in-season it's doing well, but once it gets to the playoffs, I think that they're trending downwards and teams have kind of understood what their strategy is, and I was able to formulate a team that would counter it, and I think that's why I had the upper hand over Grant because I got to see all season what his team was good at and what his players were able to do, and I made a big point to check his matchups and where plays were playing and like try to beat him in the categories that he wasn't as strong in. All right, so moving down to number 21 on our list here, we have Otto Porter, small forward of the Chicago Bulls. Otto Porter was the GOAT of my 2017 fantasy team back when he was on the Washington Wizards. Since then, he's gotten traded to the Bulls and had some injury concerns. These past two seasons, only appearing in less than 60 games, and this last year actually only playing in 14 games before being benched with an injury. Otto Porter this past season averaged 12 points, 3.5 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal on 44% shooting and 70% from the line, but that was significantly below his career averages. The past couple seasons before that, he was averaging somewhere in the 13 to 17 point range with about a steal and a half and about five to six rebounds a game. We're actually pretty varied here in our list on where we see Otto Porter landing after this next season, with two of us having Otto Porter off of our list and one of us having him as high as number 14. Giuseppe, I'm going to have you start here. I know that you're really high on Otto Porter for this next season. Can you tell us what you see out of him and why you have him so high on your list? Yeah, comparing Otto Porter to someone like Will Barton, I think it's night and day. I think that Otto Porter has the potential to be a very good, borderline great small forward for fantasy. I think he could be, I think he has the potential to be top 15, where I don't think Will Barton has the potential to go very far past the 25 mark. Otto Porter in the past, when he played for Washington, was a very good and efficient player. Vince mentioned his stats, and both his field goal percentage and free throw percentage were both uncharacteristically low, but that could definitely be due to him being injured all year and then finally being able to play in 14 games near the end of the season. A Chicago team that he wasn't very comfortable with, being that they had a new head coach and he's only played 15 games the year before with them. So I think that there's a lot of room for Otto Porter still to grow. I think that his stats in the past are very encouraging. He averaged about a steal and a half a game, almost 13 points a game, with very good field goal percentages and free throw percentages, and he would also score around two threes a game. Otto Porter is someone that you could rely for defensive stats, like steals, and I think that's where his most of his value lies, but he's also able to increase your threes where some small forwards are kind of held back by not having a three-point shot. Yeah, I always remember that I used to make you guys mad at how much I would say that Otto Porter was the king of consistency because, like, every single game I remember the year that I had him, he would put up, like, 15 points, two threes, two steals, maybe a block, and, like, 50% shooting and 80% from the line. Like, very consistent guy. My biggest worry for him, I actually have him off of my top 25, and the reason for that is that he's been very injury-prone these past couple years. If he can pull in a full season, he will – undoubtedly to me be a top 20 small forward especially if this opportunity on this young Chicago Bulls team 
for him to fit in at the, at the three spot there between Zach Levine and Laurie Markkinen. But I just don't see that, that happening. Like I said, he's been injury prone. And if that continues, then I don't think he'll be in the top 25. And that's kind of what I'm predicting out of him personally. And that's fair. He's had a lot of injury problems in the past. I actually looked up his injury list. And there's a list about 20 to 30 different injuries that he's had in the past three, four years. And the thing that's interesting is that they're always something different. So that's kind of encouraging to me on one side because he doesn't have any regularly reoccurring injuries such as a knee injury, an ankle injury, or, you know, anything else in his wrist. Like, they're all different injuries that have caused him to miss time. But also on the other side of that argument, that just shows that he gets injured a lot and that he has a hard time staying healthy. So while that is an issue with Otto Porter Jr., I think that his potential to be a top 15 small forward, and I know a lot of people are really down on him this year just because past two seasons he hasn't played more than 15 games for the Bulls. So we really haven't been able to see him in that system and how he would react to playing with them. But when he was first traded there, he actually was having the best stats he's ever had in his career, which I also thought was really encouraging. But I want to bring up a little trade idea that I had for you guys for Otto Porter. Although I do like him in the Bulls system, I think that he would fit very well there. I saw a trade online that piqued my interest because it was a trade between the Denver Nuggets and the Bulls. And the the trade involved Otto Porter and Will Barton, which was fitting because they're one spot apart in our consensus ranking. So the trade would be that the Nuggets receive Otto Porter, Chandler Hutchinson, and the 2020 second round pick via Memphis from the Bulls. And the Bulls would receive Will Barton and Gary Harris. So I just want to see what you guys think about that trade from both sides. I really like it, actually. It gives the Bulls young players in depth, and it gives the Nuggets... I mean, I think that most would agree that Otto Porter is a better basketball player when he's healthy than Will Barton and Gary Harris. I like that, actually, a lot. I think that the Bulls get a consistent small forward that will do his job and Will Barton, and they get someone like Gary Harris so they can start Zach Levine at the one and potentially play Gary Harris right next to him. And Gary Harris is a very good defender, but I think that he doesn't really fit well with the Nuggets. And also... It allows Otto Porter to play on the court with Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray and potentially Torrey Craig or whoever would play the two. But that's a very pass-happy team with Jamal and Jokic and then a very active Michael Porter Jr. would allow Otto Porter Jr. to be a spot-up shooter, which I think is his best role on a team. And I think he could really succeed in a team like that. That was beautiful, by the way. Thanks. Why are you cutting Kobe White out of this Bulls rotation here? Zach Levine is not a point guard. Just put Gary Harris in the bench. No, I like Gary Harris in the starting lineup. He's a really good defender. Yeah, I don't know. I think Gary Harris would be a perfect bench role player. Uh, bring him in if someone needs to be locked up. But Kobe's definitely starting at the, at the point guard, and Levine would play the two. So I don't know if I agree with that, but we're all talking hypotheticals at this point. No, that's a good point. Kobe White could play the one. I just like the lockdown ability of Gary Harris. I think this is his best attribute. So. I personally would want him in the starting lineup against the best players on the team and want an exciting Kobe White to come off the bench and potentially bark the bench unit and be a problem if they need offense or something like that. So I think that I'd rather have offense on the bench rather than defense. Someone like Lou Williams coming off the bench is something different rather than having a defender. But it could work both ways for sure. I mean, they had Patrick Beverly starting, who is primarily defender. 
and Lou Will coming off the bench, and you saw how well that worked for them in the playoffs. So I, uh, I mean, I do agree with your point. It is better to have a score off the bench, but sometimes it doesn't always work depending on what team or what system it is. Okay, so speaking of Rui Achimura, he actually does pop up here on our list at the number 20 spot. Rui actually just had finished a really solid season, putting up peak Otto Porter-type numbers with the Washington Wizards on the same team with 13.5 points a game, six rebounds, two assists, a steal on 47% shooting and 83% from the line. Like we mentioned, Rui is a guy that Mike and I both have pretty high on our list at 17 and 19 respectively. We all have him in our top 25 here. We all see positive things coming out of him in Washington. Mike, do you want to start us off here with Rui? I know that he was your guy when he was coming into the league. So I, I do you want to start kind of talking us through here what you expect out of him stats-wise for the season? Sure, yeah, I can start off. I put Rui just above Otto Porter. I put him at 19. I have Otto Porter at 20. Unfortunately, last season I was forced to drop Rui just because of his injury and I was trying to make a playoff push. So that really hurt me. I think Matt was the one that picked him up. As far as next season goes... I see him giving a little solid increase in his stats, especially with John Wall coming back. I feel like he's not going to have as much pressure to create for himself. And I think he's just a good two-way option. He provides a decent all-category, shoots good percentages, and is just you know an average player. Someone you can get for very cheap. Obviously, he's gonna, his value is going to go up from last year, but I'm pretty sure I picked him up for like $3 in our draft. Pretty late, and it's just someone that is a solid addition to the team. Yeah, to me, Rui offers a lot of the upside that Otto Porter has without a lot of the downside. Because this past season, he did have an injury, but he didn't have 30 of them. And he put up solid stats, like I said, similar to what Otto Porter used to put up in the Wizards. And I think he has better opportunities in Washington than Porter has with the Bulls. There's just less scoring options on that team and less people that will handle the ball on that team, even with John Wall coming back. So I just think he's just a really good player in general. I think he's a good defender. He's developing his one-on-one game. I I think he'll have an uptick, not like a major one, but a, a solid uptick in every category. I don't see... I think that he has a really high floor and also a pretty moderately high ceiling as well. I would agree. And I'm not too concerned about his injury only because he played for the Wizards and the Wizards obviously were one of the worst teams in the league and they knew they weren't going to make playoffs. So I'm assuming they were probably taking a more precautionary approach with him, especially because he's young and he was relatively high in the draft. And I just don't think that they were in any rush to get him back. So at least for next season, I'm not really concerned about injury for him. I think we're comparing Rui to Otto Porter prematurely. He was one of the players that the Pistons could have potentially drafted. So I looked into him and he seemed like a good option. A lot of players, a lot of analysts were high on him. I think he had a very good rookie season. Rui was an all-rookie this year. He very well deserved it. He was also on a Wizards team that really didn't have anything going for them. And really everything that was going through Bradley Beal and Rui Hachimura when he was healthy. I think that his three-point percentage was really low this season. He averaged a half a three-pointer a game, shooting about 29% at the three-point line. He really didn't get many steals. He had less than a steal a game when comparing him to Otto Porter. And Otto Porter, in his highest and best season in 2016-2017, he shot 43% from the three-point line, averaging two threes a game. He was averaging almost 52% from the field goal. So that's like peak Otto Porter, and I don't think Rui's at that level to be compared to. Obviously, Otto Porter at his best. Rui Hachimura has more of an opportunity to play and, and get those stats, but I think that Otto Porter is a much more efficient, and obviously at this point, Rui Hachimura is raw player, or a much more raw player than Otto Porter Jr. is. 
I also think it's worth noting that Davis Bertans is probably going to be leaving the Wizards this season. He's probably demanding a contract that they're not going to be able to meet or not going to want to meet. So I actually see the Wizards rolling out a starting lineup this year that has Bradley Beal, John Wall, Troy Bond Jr., him, and then Thomas Bryant. I think just pure opportunity is going to be up for him this year as well, in addition to just him improving as a player. I don't really have anything else to say about Rui in general, but I honestly do really like that Wizards team, provided that everyone stays healthy. I think they are definitely a playoff team. I, I don't know if they'll do anything with it, but with how weak the East is, I never thought I would consider it, but I I would say the Wizards should have a shot at, you know, 7-8 seed. I'd have to see something out of John Wall that I don't expect right now. I, watching a lot of Wizards games this past season because I had Bradley Beal on my team. Outside of Beal and Rui when he was hot, like, nobody else can create on that team. And Bertans was their only spot-up shooter. Like, offense is hard to come by on that Wizards team. But they're also, I do like watching them, like you said. They're, they're fun because they're really young. And when they, there's certain lineups that they roll out that are really long and athletic and get, like, really good defense. Like, when they put Rui alongside Brown and, like, Gary Payton the second and then have Beal with them, like, they're a really good defensive team. So I don't see them making the playoffs this year. I'm kind of a pessimistic viewer of the Wizards right now, but I think that they're good for the future. Do you think that the the Wizards have a better shot at making the playoffs than the Pistons? Yes, but I also think that the Knicks have a better shot at making the playoffs than the Pistons. <laughs> Okay, that's just false. That's so harsh. That's so no. that's so false. That is pretty harsh. Talking to the team that gave the Cavs a hard time when they were in the playoffs. Vince, I know you're gonna cry, but it's not that I think that the Knicks team is better than the Pistons team. I think that the Knicks have a non-zero chance of attracting some sort of star star or pseudo star because they're gonna be willing to pay somebody who's in the latter half of his career forty million dollars to take him to the eighth seed once. I'm looking at you, Chris Paul. I think that the Pistons are looking to rebuild. I don't think that they're looking to even try to make the playoffs this year. So that's why I say that the Knicks have a better chance of making the playoffs. Tell Stan yeah. and Gundy that when he traded for Blake Griffin's five-year, $37 million contract. <laughs> that is true. Stan and Gundy's gone now. The bad man's gone. He can't hurt us anymore. Well, guys, that pretty much wraps up today's session on top 25 small forwards of the 2020-2021 NBA season. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and if you did, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast below, as well as follow us on Twitter at FlashyStatsPod to be notified for future episodes. Next week, we're going to be releasing part two of our Guess That Player and Buy Sell series, along with current events for what's been going on in the NBA these past couple of weeks. So make sure that you stay tuned for that, and have a great rest of your day.